What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? Who dat? You know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our our, our chant. Podcast back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Of course, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder is where you can find all of our podcasts. Or if you want to jump on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can, you can subscribe there as well. And look, NFL Draft is now complete. The next thing up is the league schedule, which comes out in less than a week or about a week. And so uh, that will be the next thing on the docket. But, of course, Jeff and I are just going to be discussing all things draft, where the Saints go next, how they got to some of these picks. Uh, And, Jeff, uh, look, we are a few days removed from the draft, so a lot of people have had time to kind of opine on uh, this draft class and uh, you know I've already written a a couple stories about it you know how quickly can these guys come in uh, and kind of comparing it to the league uh, how quickly can draft picks specifically come in and play right away at say edge rusher linebacker and cornerback and of course that's the direction where the Saints went with all three of those picks Uh, but Jeff when you just look at the class uh, what is kind of your overall thoughts about the directions where they went? Well, I think it's pretty obvious. I mean, Mickey Loomis said this was not intentional, but the first three picks were all defensive players. So uh, we know the offseason, that's where most of the attrition occurred. So looks like they tried to fortify that side of the ball with uh, some young defensive talent. And uh, I don't know if that was just happenstance, the way the board fell, which is what Loomis said. Uh, but clearly, they, they know they needed quarterback help. We know that was the number one need. So it's not a surprise that they addressed that in the first couple of days. But I don't know about you, Larry, but it felt to me like this draft, you know, now that we've had a few days distance from it, it felt to me like the least uh, approved draft from Saints fans of anyone that I can remember. I mean, there was just a lot more, uh, you know, animosity about some of the picks and uh, disappointment probably uh, from fans. And it kind of it kind of manifested itself, too, in some of the grades that we've seen. I know that's always kind of folly to grade the draft right after after the picks. But it felt to me like this one was uh, one that Saints fans would like a do over on. I think you would be right, and you look at the top three picks, Peyton Turner from Houston, defensive end, Pete Werner, uh, linebacker, Ohio State, and then uh, Paulson Adebo from Stanford at corner. All three positions you and me have talked about that uh, Sean Payton might not say needs for all three, but I thought all three were actually needs. And so in that sense, it's funny that usually Saints fans complain when they don't address needs. And now they've addressed needs, but it's not the right players, maybe, or the right order of, of priority. Uh, but that's how the draft falls sometimes. And look, remember, you and me did uh, our mock draft leading up to the the start of the draft last week. And Catherine Terrell and I have also did ones. And sometimes you're just at the mercy of the board. And I feel like, especially in round one, that's what happened. It reminded me of when the Saints kind of got stuck with Andres Pete back in 2015. They were wanting other players. 
they didn't fall to them, and then they just said, all right, well, we'll just take the best player on our board. And, of course, that went moans and groans, and it's still moans and groans for Saints fans. Uh, but still, I think when you look at the Saints, and they've been transparent the last few days publicly, uh, even right after the pick uh, of Turner, they wanted to move up. And if teams aren't willing to help you move up, you can't move up. That's just what it is. And, like, I think the fascination, Jeff, that I uh, leaving this, we could talk about Turner all we want, but the fact that they were tr- trying to trade up in the top 10 to get corner and then trying to trade up into the top 15 to go get Mac Jones, I think that just goes to show you that Turner was probably five, six, seven on the fallback scale, and that's what they went with. Well, I, th- I think fans are so used to the Saints being able to kind of dictate terms and kind of make the draft uh, what they want, uh, that when it wasn't able to transpire, uh, people were, you know, disappointed and upset. I, you know, and it's one thing to move around and trade up from the top of the second round into the bottom of the first, uh, you know, or move up five spots in, in the bottom of the first round. It's another thing to go from 28 to the top 10. I mean, I think that's only been done a handful of times ever. And the Saints just didn't have the ammo to get up there. Uh, you know, they tried. Uh, I think the other aspect that was made made evident to me that I didn't really think about was that there were so many first-year general managers up there in that area where they were trying to trade. And if you think about it, Larry, I mean, you're a first-time general manager. It's your first draft. You're trying to create interest and energy and momentum within your within your program. The last thing you're going to want to do is trade all the way out of the top 10 down to number 28. I mean, that's that's a buzzkill, not only for the fan base, but for yourself, you know, trying to make your mark. So it, it was going to take a king's ransom to do that. And the Saints were, were not willing to do that. But they clearly identified J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan. Those were the guys they wanted to go up and get, and they knew they had to get in the top 10 to get them. And, and that proved accurate because they both were off the board. That's why Dallas traded out at 10. So uh, I understand why they weren't able to move up that high, uh, but I, I admired them for trying uh, and, and trying to find, uh, you know, a, a elite prospect at the position as opposed to someone that they don't have nearly as good a grade on at number 28. And I think those first-year GMs did not want to have the rug pulled out from under them from one of the longest-term GMs in the league. Say, oh, this old veteran got one over you, and, you know, they look foolish. So I don't think that they were willing to probably do that. I don't know this for a fact, but I, I would assume they probably would did not want to have that happen to them where they got fooled and played by someone who's been, like I said, the longest one of the one of if not the longest term general managers in the NFL who's traded up many 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 times and I don't think they were willing to do that and you, you kept hearing the price would be three first round picks I'm not paying that so I get it like I you know it would I understand where the Saints were coming from and they had their fallback plan and Jeff it's funny the one name that if they did trade into the top 10 that wasn't corner that the Saints would have uh, been enamored with was Trey Lance. I mean, that's who I, what I've heard uh, during the process. Uh, obviously, you need to go up to three to get him, and that didn't happen. That would have been, say, if he was there, oh, my gosh, let's go try to get him. Uh, but what do you make of the reporting from our own Jeff Howe and, and Mike Lombardi uh, about the Mac Jones fascination, trying to trade up to go get him? Uh, you know, I think, to me, 
they would have – I get where they were. the Saints were coming from because he was falling to the middle of the first round. Like, I don't think they were trading up to top five to go get Mac Jones. But top 15, I could see them absolutely uh, trying to make an attempt to go do that. Yeah, I think those two quarterbacks were the ones outside of, of obviously, Trevor Lawrence and, and Zach Wilson that, that they really graded highly. And I think it just came down to, once again – their grade on those players and at 15 or 14 they loved mac jones enough to where they were interested in trying to trade up for him because they felt like there was value there and i don't know this for a fact but he was probably in the top 10 on their board and that's why they did it and i think getting back to what you were talking about earlier about not wanting to trade down this draft according to almost every expert i've talked to was about 15 or 16 players deep with first round talent so then you're talking about also trading out of that and getting a, a, a lesser prospect at 28. I think the Saints, probably their best move would have been to try and get up, say, to 15 out of 28. Maybe they could have gotten up to the 15 spot and then turned around and made another trade from 15, maybe throw in a starter, like a player, to go with some other uh, trade uh, assets then you maybe could have gotten up in the top 10. But to make it all in one fell swoop was just <clears throat> going to be astronomical. Uh, and to go up and get Mac Jones, uh, while that's not totally surprising, I mean, word leaked out, as it always does with, with the Saints, that they like Mac Jones. He, I, There's really not a lot to not like about him. I mean, I watched all of his post-draft interviews and stuff. I mean, very, very sharp guy, obviously is a winner. Uh, I just read Jeff Howell's story about him. He reminded me of Drew Brees, the way he attacked his his uh, pro day with the attention to detail. Uh, you know, this guy, I think, is going to give himself every opportunity to be successful. So I think it also shows the Saints clearly are always going to be in the quarterback market now, uh, year to year, um, unless something this coming season happens to where they feel good about one of these two starters. Unless Brett Favre is wrong, right? You know, Aaron Rodgers will be a New Orleans Saint. I, I think uh, <laughs> we know Brett Favre secretly hoping that would happen. But, yeah, there's no doubt that the Saints, uh, we knew we are going to be looking at all options at quarterback. Uh, this is a one-year thing. We've talked about this ad nauseum, and we will continue to talk about this ad nauseum. This is a one-year tryout for either Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill. If it blows up, they're going to be making moves again for quarterbacks, either in the draft or next offseason, maybe being more aggressive to go get someone like Russell Wilson, who knows, or Aaron Rodgers. I mean, let's not throw that out of the realm of possibility next offseason. Uh, they're going to be aggressive because they, they know how important the position is. Uh, but, Jeff, when you look at the way that the Saints went about, and you had a great piece right after uh, the next morning about – their strategy, J.C. Horn didn't work out, and then what they thought with Peyton Turner. And, look, the fans' angst, I get it, because he's not on the radar. Uh, you look at our rankings from our own Dane Brugler. He had him at number 60. I, at least, it's it's amazing. All three players that went in rounds one, two, three, and four, actually, with Ian Book, I had all of them in my previews as someone that the Saints would like. Like, it wasn't just an afterthought. It was uh, Pete Werner, the linebacker, this, that, and the other. Like, I've specifically pointed him out. But here's what it was. Turner in round two. Werner in round four. Uh, Lisa Debo was in round three. And then Ian Book was somewhere deep in, 
in day three. So I figured they would like all of those players. But uh, but Turner and spe- uh, specifically, let's start there, Jeff. Uh, what were some of the stories that you heard about Turner uh, in terms of what they liked about him and the process they went about it? Because it was pretty quiet. Uh, usually we, we kind of get catch wind of some of these things. Turner was a quiet one this time. Yeah, I, I think it just came down to when they got to 28 in that cloud of players, that little bullpen, uh, he was the top guy of their five, four or five guys that they had there. And they like obviously the you know the size speed measurables that they adhere to in their in their prototypes for a defensive end. We know they they don't like undersized defensive ends. They're not going to take those situational pass rush guys, those light guys. They want guys that are tall that can hold the edge, uh, you know, against the run. He's got all those attributes. I had one one person with the Saints say, look, he he could be like a, a poor man's Michael Strahan. You know, he could end up de- developing like a guy like that. Michael Strahan, of course, came out of Houston uh, and played at Texas Southern. So that that, that was a comparison I got. Um, yeah, he's tall, rangy. He can play inside and outside. He, he dominated when he did play. And uh, all the character makeup, all the things that the Saints look for, um, they, they love this guy. And, and they don't feel like it was a, oh, this is who we have to settle on. And I think getting back to your points about what grounds they went in, I think it, it goes back to what, what Mickey said earlier. They find players that fit their their kind of guys, and they go get them. I mean, they don't care where other people are graded. I think they had a, a handful of players or maybe, you know, a dozen players that they really liked, um, and they're going to take them whatever because they're, they're, they're bored. I heard that Jeff Ireland had a smaller board than he's ever had for this draft. They did not feel like it was a deep draft at all for their kind of players. So they probably, that number probably got whittled down pretty quickly as the draft went along. And they just said, look, these guys fit our system, our scheme, so the, uh, the type of players, players we want in our locker, locker room. So we're so going to take them here because they're graded higher on our board than, than maybe Dane Brugler's or someone else's. Well, it's funny when you look at his size, like 6'6", 270, that is to me, I'm looking at it and saying, all right, that's a Cam Jordan prototype. I mean, they took him at 24 way back in 2011, uh, and that is the prototype defensive end. The Saints are not interested in anymore having players that play defensive end like the size of, say, Heoli Kikaha. Like, that doesn't work. Someone like, think back a, a bunch of years back to 2011 when they drafted Martez Wilson and they tried to put him on the edge and he was not big enough to – to, to make that happen for, for their the way they want to play 4-3 defense. So you can knock out someone like Aziz Ojolari. Like, he is not yep. that size. Like, he he's better in a 3-4. And so that's why, I, you know, probably someone I would say that they would have liked uh, would have been someone like Quiddy Pay, who was about 260, drafted yep. higher. But he was the more the type. So Turner – and that's one of the reasons why I pointed to Turner. I was like, he's the type of size, not necessarily – massive production throughout his career but played well uh at houston in his senior year all you got to do is go ask poor willie fritz and uh former offensive coordinator will hall what uh turner did to them uh they tore them up Uh, that's that's like there's highlight film was the two-lane game last year of how well he played so i totally understand the player and i don't know if i'd have the guts to go at 28 but 
All the corners were gone. I think people have to understand that. All of the viable linebackers, I know people were, were really talking about uh, Jeremiah owosu Koromoro, but that's a guy who was still undersized as well. Like, that's the thing. And he had – and ended up being he had some kind of heart condition that uh, reportedly that, yeah. that bumped him down. So, all – any you, you don't want to reach for a corner. I know Eric Stokes went next, but we, you and me have talked about it. Don't reach for a corner. Stay true to what you have. And look, this is not this is also a byproduct, Jeff, of what happened with Marcus Davenport, and that he has not panned out. And I think that I think people are seeing that and likening the two. And it's not fair to Turner. He has nothing to do with that. Uh, and they didn't trade up to go get this kid either. So. I'm definitely not panning the player. I'm skeptical on when he was taken, but I think the player fits with what they do. Yeah, those comparisons to Davenport are irrelevant. I mean, I heard the same thing when they drafted Marshawn Lattimore because some of the other corners they drafted had failed in the first round. Uh, it's it's really it's it's an it's a illogical argument. So uh, I don't see that. Uh, the thing that I do know is that they also had they did have a corner. In that group, I believe, uh, Tyson Campbell, who they really liked. And uh, from talking to people in the building, uh, they really tried hard to trade up uh, on day two and get Tyson Campbell or Elijah Moore. Those were the two guys they wanted, and they went one-two in the second round. I mean, they were off the board right away. I think if those guys, one of those guys would have fallen like somewhere in the top ten, they might have been able to pull off a trade to go up and get one of those guys because they had – really strong grades on those two players and also really strong visions for both of them. Uh, so that again was more bad luck for them they tried to make something happen and, and just couldn't pull it off. I think Saints fans would have actually preferred that, that they took either of those two guys in round one rather than <laughs> no doubt. You probably hear less about that, but uh, look, it's something that it's wild the way the draft goes. Uh, you know, at this point, we judge Turner in three years and see what happens. I mean, that's why we're judging Davenport now after three years and saying uh, this might not pay off. And so I think that's something we've got to uh, – I know you and me can do it, but I, other people have got to kind of calm down. But I also get it, Jeff, that and, – and it's something that I wrote about today, about all three of these defensive players. You could argue that all three could come in and play – you'd want them to play right away a significant role, and that's not realistic most of the time. And so I think there's some angst there as well to add to the, the Turner maybe being too high of a pick. Well, I would say this. I, I think it goes back to if we're going to really pull back the lens, this really this selection goes back to just the Saints overall uh, philosophy on life, if you will. I mean, these guys take big swings, right? And, and they looked at Peyton Turner as a guy with a high ceiling that could be who knows. At the highest ceiling, Michael Strahan. And he might be a bust. But they that's the way Sean Payton thinks. We know this. I mean, and it's paid off sometimes. They've hit home runs on guys. I mean, the greatest example was Drew Brees. I mean, a, a, you know, an injury uh, to his shoulder. A lot of people were scared. They went for it, and it changed the course of their franchise's history. Uh, they've had other ones that paid off. You know, Nick Fairley, a lot of people were scared of. They went out and got him. He was very productive. You know, we can just go down the list. This is how they think. And sometimes it's not going to work. But you have to kind of live with that mentality, uh, you know, if you're a Saints fan, because they're aggressive 
and they're going to swing for the fences, and sometimes they're going to strike out. All right, Jeff, let's switch over to round two. Pete Warner, Ohio State linebacker. I think he's your prototypical, probably weak side middle linebacker. Uh, and I, and all of a sudden, oh, I called Jeff out on Twitter, and now then all of a sudden he says, oh, I've always been linebacker for my entire life. Pete Werner. I mean, I, I had him maybe in my top 15 in my mocks. Jeff, you did have him in your players, your Saints type of player. So I will give you credit there. Thank you. There, there you go. But Thank I'll, you. Uh, you're welcome. That's okay. Of, of all the linebackers, that's the guy I had. <laughs> but he makes sense. I didn't have Jabril Cox for a reason. Put it that way. But Werner makes sense. He's the size that they want. I mean, they like linebackers who are about 240. I mean, that's if you go look through down the list of Mario Davis, Alex Anzalone, Quan Alexander, like uh, AJ Klein, like all these linebackers that they have, that's the size they want. They don't like the lighter guys, which is why I'm wondering what are they going to do with Zach Bond? Because he's a lighter guy and yeah. not a traditional linebacker. But I think that shows you Pete Werner in round two, they're not sold on Bond to play that spot. And Werner is a traditional linebacker. So, uh, like, I, I really. I really have no problem with that pick. Even at 60, I really do not have any problems with that pick. I think he's going to start right away, and I think he's going to start for several years. I mean, I had someone in the league tell me this guy is going to be a, a regular on your defense, could end up calling your plays for the next five to seven years. You can do worse than that. Uh, he, he's not the sexiest pick, but, you know, and I compared him, and, of course, our colleague Catherine Terrell, I don't know what her, her tweet was about you know, making fun of comparing him to AJ Klein. AJ Klein's a good player. I don't know what does she is she wrong. I mean, the guy started throughout his tenure here in New Orleans, goes to Buffalo, starts for their defense that I believe just got to the AFC Championship game. I think the guy can play. I mean, I don't know what what, what I would take AJ was. Klein for five years uh, at the start yeah. or beginning of his career. I think she. I think I she's. Know. I think she's playing up to maybe fans who kind of bag on him and maybe she's kind of bagged on him but I, like, I thought he was a good solid player and there's a reason why buffalo went and got him started him right away and he's a so yeah exactly that's, that's neither here exactly. <laughs> anyway i had to just side note on that pete warner's the kind of guy that could be like you know a better aj klein a very solid player and he's got a uh, high floor as scouts say right like he's he's probably not gonna bust i mean you know what you're getting with him and he fits the exact prototype the Saints want in their linebackers. Um, so it made a lot of sense to me, especially in a division that's, you know, got Rob Gronkowski and Cameron Braid, and they just got, you know, Kyle Pitts, all these guys. I mean, he can cover a little bit at linebacker as well. Uh, so um, I understood that pick as well. And I know, I know I'm always bagging on linebackers, but that is actually one of the glaring holes they do have on defense other than corner was – that's a, a starting spot that's available. Yeah, and if Warner's not that great in coverage, that's what you'd have DeMario Davis for. So that's perfectly fine. If Warner can be the Mike, I know he played weak side and strong side at Ohio State, but if, if Warner can be the every down Mike and Davis can be the every down weak side linebacker, I think you're, I think you're, you're fine. Like I think you're fine. It's, it's, I'm not saying he's Sam Mills or Mike Singletary, but I think you're fine. And the Saints defense was good with someone like AJ Klein there. Like, so if, if that's the comparable and you get a younger version of that, I'll take it. Uh, and then we, we build and see what happens there. So, all right, third round pick, they go with uh, Paulson Adebo from Stanford. I thought that was the, the one he, I put him in a tweet. 
uh, probably middle of a I might have done it in round two where I said Adebo's a guy I like. They went and drafted him. Uh, measurables at corner, productive at corner, obviously a smart kid, Stanford. Uh, you know, so I, I I was looking at him at doing all my research third round. He would have been a perfect spot. And, oh, by the way, Dane Brugler had him at 76. The Saints took him at 76. So, hey, at least somehow, <laughs> some way, pundits might agree with the teams. Yeah, I mean, he made perfect sense, right? And they traded up to get him, right? They went went after him. Uh, and he's the kind of guy that uh, is probably going to take a little time, but everything you read about him uh, is exactly the Saints kind of corner. He's got the height, the the ball skills, just didn't play a lot of football. I mean, he opted out and, uh, you know, probably needs a little seasoning. I'll be surprised if he's the starting corner for the Saints this year. I, I think they're definitely going to, address that position here over the next couple months, whether it's in free agency or via trade. Uh, but this is a guy that you can look at down the road also and say, hey, he could develop. You can you can see when you watch the tape of him, and I'm not a big tape-watching guy, but when you watch the tape of him, man, he looks like a former wide receiver, which he was. He played a lot of wide receiver. I mean, he can go get the ball. Uh, and in the Saints' man-to-man press scheme, I mean, that's obviously a critical uh, asset. Jeff, I'm with you in that. Even though there's a glaring hole, he's a third-round guy. I'm not sold that he's coming in to start right away. Uh, the last time I can recall a draft pick outside of round one coming in to start right away at corner was probably Tracy Porter. He was a second-round pick, and an early second-round pick. And so this is a trade-up early third-round pick. Uh, you still got a hole at corner in my eyes. And so, Jeff, at this point – you're either signing a veteran. I mean, Richard Sherman's name has been the most attached. And I think there was a report out there where he was saying that, yeah, I'd fit like a glove, but I don't know if they're necessarily in big, as big of a need as they think. So I, I'm curious at that statement, but still, or uh, you try to go the route and make a trade. I mean, they've traded for corners in the past. They've done it in season, say with someone like Eli Apple, uh, who was a minimal cost. And I think they were trying to actually go after Patrick Peterson, but that cost was too high. Uh, but look, there are corners probably on this market that could be trade market. Jeff, what are some of the names you, maybe you're thinking that, that could possibly be somewhere out there? Well, now that the draft has transpired, now you can start looking at, at depth charts and see who might have a surplus of talent at that position uh, and, and may have a need somewhere else. So it makes sense to look at, say, uh, Denver, who drafted Pat Sertan, but also went out and got Kyle Fuller in the offseason. Their depth chart's pretty stacked at cornerback. I could see the Saints talking to them. They talked to them about moving up in, into round one uh, to, to, to get a corner, and, and Denver ended up taking Sertan. Uh, I've heard also that Stephon Gilmore in New England might be available. That's all obviously been reported uh, throughout the league because he's entering the last year of his deal. He's going to want a big payday. Uh, I'm not sure what he's going to get a big payday at this stage of his career. I think he's in his 30s. Uh, but we know the Saints in the past have uh, had a lot of trade success with New England. Bill Belichick and Sean Payton are very uh, good friends, and uh, they get deals done. They're kind of old-school guys. And then also I think Miami. Miami is another spot. Xavier Howard and Byron Jones, two highly paid corners that uh, Miami might not want to pay both of them 
Uh, they've got some decent depth there as well. So I can see the Saints exploring all those spots. Now, whether somebody wants to give up a corner of that ability remains to be seen. And then the other question is, what would the Saints have to offer to get a corner like that, a starting corner? Those guys are, you know, don't grow on trees. They're hard to get. It's a premium position. The Saints would have to offer something pretty, pretty, uh, you know, attractive. And they've got cap concerns themselves. How, how do they fit it under the cap? So there's a lot of moving parts here to consider before a deal is done. But I do think that's what the Saints are going to be doing here in the next next few weeks. Yeah, they'll be working the phones. There's no doubt about it. And uh, like it's it's something that you name all these names, but where do they fit them on the cap? I mean, you mentioned Stephon Gilmore. If he's in the final year of his deal, you're going to pay Gilmore or you're going to pay Lattimore? Because you still got to pay Lattimore. So... Uh, they're probably hoping that Adebo does win the job, but I don't know if that's going to happen or uh, or they get someone a little cheaper in the free agency market. But they're going to be they're not going to they're not going to rest on their laurels. Uh, I mean, they were willing to go trade up super high in the draft to go get a corner. You don't think they're going to want to trade and make things work to go get a big time corner. Uh, of course, they would do that. So I don't think there's any any doubt about that. So. Uh, that is something we're definitely going to be watching. There's no question about it. So, okay, let's move on to day three. One of the talks of day three, uh, frankly, uh, throughout the draft, Ian Book to the Saints. And we knew Sean Payton had a bit of a thing for Ian Book. I mean, he mentioned him in radio interviews. And as soon as he did that, everyone started connecting Ian Book to the Saints. And he goes at the fourth round. And I think... That is a bit of a sh uh, shock and surprise for Saints fans. Uh, but if you look at, again, let's go by our rankings here at The Athletic. He was the ninth quarterback on the rankings, and he was the ninth quarterback taken. So when you look at it in that sense, it fit the bill there. Uh, because you had five going day one. You had three going day two. <clears throat> My boy Kyle Trask is going to, you know, uh, Tom's going to get hurt. And then Kyle Trask is going to become Tom Brady and usurp uh, Tom like Tom did to Drew Bledsoe and is going to win him another Super Bowl, right? So that's what's going to happen with my boy Kyle Trask. But uh, I'm kidding. Saints fans would want to punch <laughs> me in the face if that really happens. But, uh, look, you look at Ian Book, and I hesitate to say, oh, he's like Drew Brees. But, I mean, he's the same size. He's a winner, productive in college. Like, yeah, it's our easy fallback because we've seen it. But that's maybe that's what they're thinking with him. You, you, Jeff, what do you think? Well, I mean, he, he's just the classic Saints kind of player. I mean, we keep falling back on that, but it's the truth. I mean, he's a he's a winner. All of his teammates like him. He was a team captain, the leader of the team. I think they went 30-5 and five with him as quarterback. He's one of the winningest quarterbacks in Notre Dame history. That's a pretty, pretty deep history there, you know, pretty decorated history at Notre Dame. So there's a lot of things to like about him. I, I just think Sean Payton said, I want to get this guy in the building, see what we can – do with him. I think a lot like Garrett Grayson, he, he fell in love with this player and wants to see if he can develop him. I think he's intrigued by uh, some of the skill sets he has. And uh, is he going to end up being the, the heir apparent one day, the starter? I don't know. I mean, I don't think anybody knows that. Uh, but as Sean always says, you know, we're always in the quarterback market. Let's get him in here. He, he can learn behind uh, Winston and, and, and Taysom Hill for a year, and we'll see what we've got. Uh, but I don't think this is the answer long-term to the Saints quarterback, uh, you know, position. But I'm not saying it, it can't be either. I just I just think right now it was a guy they were intrigued with. 
And in round four, in a draft, I think this is important to note too, we said it earlier, in a draft that the Saints do not think was very good, was very deep, they felt like it was worth, you know, worth rolling the dice on it. And I kept hearing, oh, is it, uh, he's Taysom Hill 2.0. No, he's not. He's not Taysom Hill 2.0. First off, he's a higher prospect than Taysom Hill was coming out. B, he's not going to be some Swiss Army knife. It's a different set of circumstances. It's they quit comparing ones to the other. Like that's just not what it is. Even though I just did compare him to Drew Brees, but I just did that as body type. That was it. And then uh, accolades, but nothing uh, pro- as projection wise. But still, it's he's not Taysom. That's just not it. No, stop it. So I think that. Uh, it's a wait and see. Uh, we, he at least, if we're going to compare him to say Garrett Grayson, who that's the last quarterback they took, you know, round three guy. If we're going to, I would say Book probably comes in more prepared than Grayson. I mean, Book played a lot better teams than than Grayson did on a bigger stage. So at least he has that going for him more than maybe someone like Grayson did coming. And here's the thing. I mean, Book's built like a receiver. Taysom Hill's built like a linebacker. So, I mean, you know, there's a big difference in their frames. I mean, you're not going to run Ian Book. I think the athleticism with Ian Book is that almost all of his uh, success in college was built around uh, bootlegs and movement, pocket movement, because he is a good athlete. But I think what intrigued Sean Payton about him is he's he's a gamer, you know. You know, in some ways he reminds me of, say, like a more athletic Jake DeLone. I mean, Jake DeLone – was a starting quarterback, a good one in the NFL. And if you just took him to the NFL combine, he wouldn't impress anybody. You know, he's not that big. He didn't have a powerful arm. But I'm telling you, Jake DeLone was a winner. He was just a gamer. And I remember Rick Venturi telling me he was awful in practice. Jake DeLone, that's why he got beat out by Aaron Brooks. He didn't practice <laughs> that that well. Ricky Prohl told me that Jake DeLone would – They'd run a play, and he'd miss it six times in a row in practice, and then during the game, he'd throw it perfectly for a touchdown. When the lights came on, he he performed, and I think that is a comparison I would make to Ian Book. Final two picks, you look at uh, tackle. Uh, look at uh, Landon Young from Kentucky. I think that pick makes sense uh, there. We talked about a little bit of a tackle depth, Jeff, uh, when we were doing kind of our lead-ups to this. And then uh, round seven – you go to Kwan Baker, uh, speedster, wide receiver. We'll see what he have they have there, but but I'm not both of those guys. They make sense to me. I mean, there's no real big argument. Uh, you know, they traded up to go get Young. He was a good tackle at, at, at Kentucky, uh, and Baker he has vertical speed. So I think that's something we know that the Saints were looking at. So I really don't have any uh, major. Uh, things to say about them. Uh, they're going to have to fight for a roster spot. But if there's ever a year that all the draft picks actually make the team, it could be this one, right? Well, do you, do you think Landon Young was, a, was a, you know, the down payment on the future at that position, similar to Peyton Turner? Uh, you look at Taron Armstead, I'm not saying they're ready to move on from him because he's still playing at a high level. But if you're going to pay Ryan Ramchek what we think they're getting ready to pay him, <clears throat> would it make sense – to see how Armstead performs this year, try and develop Landon Young, and then who knows? After next season, this team's already got cap issues. Do they move on from Armstead, flip Ramchek to your left to left tackle, 
and feel good enough about Young to start him at right tackle. I'm, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but these are the kind of the ways general managers and personnel executives think uh, for long-term roster uh, management. Oh, I think they're they're looking at all kinds of players like that on their roster right now, and they're just adding Young to the mix to see if one of these guys can develop and pan out into something like that. I mean, that's why, uh, just think back, even when they drafted Tron Armstead, they had Charles Charlie Brown, who, look, he was lackluster and then got the job by basically default, and then they had Armstead, but he was a third-round pick. Uh, you know, Young's a, uh, what was he, six-round pick? Yeah, 206, six-round pick. I mean, they're looking at guys like that, I mean, like Ethan Greenidge and Derek Kelly. And so they're looking at all of those guys like that. And, uh, you know, if they are adding someone like Young, they might not see it so far with Greenidge or Kelly or Calvin Throckmorton or players like that. So I think they're adding to the pot to see what happens. And I think they needed a true reserve tackle. I don't really think they have one. Well, James Hurst, I think. He can move, yeah. He's a veteran. Right. He's a he's a veteran, you know. I'm not sure he's in their long term plans. What, what was the guy's name they took a few years ago from Florida State that didn't pan out? <laughs> Rick Leonard, round four. Yeah, had no. We, yeah, so we I, I couldn't at, even find his ranking. <laughs> right, but I, I look at it that that's again shows a pattern of how they think. Let's get a tackle. And tackles are hard to find. Landon Young was a a guy that started a ton of snaps in the SEC. Was a highly ranked recruit. Uh, I remember when he came out of Lexington. I mean, he was. Uh, maybe the number one recruit in the state of Kentucky. So uh, I think they saw a lot of attributes that they like, and you can never have enough good big men and probably at a premium position like that in a draft again. Uh, I had I had somebody with the Saints tell me uh, after round one that they didn't care if they had any of their six or seven round picks in this draft. Now, maybe some of these guys were in their bo- on their board that fell, and that's why they felt comfortable taking them, but that's how – how little they thought of the depth of this draft. And I can tell you this, this is another thing to think about while we're, while we're talking about the bottom level. I'll be shocked if very many of these undrafted free agents make the team because they were even less enamored with the free agent pool this year. They thought it was maybe the worst they'd ever encountered. So unless somebody just jumps up and surprises them, don't expect to see a bunch of, you know, Deontay Harris, Shy Tuttles make this roster. And when you say that, what do you think some of the reasoning is behind that? Uh, just the lack of film, medical, uh, you know, a weird environment that they played in last year. Uh, to me, that's probably playing a role in all of all of their thinking with, with a lot of these guys. Yeah, maybe it's just a, a down year talent-wise, you know. Maybe a lot of guys opted to stay back in and play another year. I think it's probably a confluence of variables there, but I just know the Saints uh, were not enamored with this draft, uh, you know, in any way from the top to the bottom. I mean, obviously there were a lot of quarterbacks in this draft, but there were a lot of positions, Larry, when you looked at it, like defensive tackle. I mean, it was hard to find the really top defensive tackle. There weren't a ton of tight ends once you got past Kyle Pitts. I mean, it just was not, I think, a very – talented deep draft and that happens from year to year i mean we go back and look at some of these drafts with with the you know benefit of hindsight Uh, there's some years like 2011 that are you're finding pro bowlers in second and third round and there's some years where man there's there's no talent at all i mean the year marcus davenport came out was that what 2015 maybe or 16 18 
yeah, there's just not a good draft. You look back at it, there's not a lot of depth to that draft, and I think that could be the case for this season. We're going to find out. I mean, time's going to tell whether the Saints were right or not. Well, I was going to bring back 2011 and compare it to this year, just even at the edge spot. Uh, that 2011 class, I mean, you could have J.J. Uh, Watt, Von Miller, uh, you know, Cam Jordan's in there. Uh, you know, it was uh, huge. Robert Quinn, you know, you had so, so many great edge rushers. This year, you, I think it was the first time it was the lowest an edge rusher had come off the board. And usually those are premium positions, uh, to come off the board because you you want someone who can rush the passer. So it seemed like it was a kind of a weak year for that. So, hey, uh, that's – and, of course, the Saints took one at 28. So, hey, what, what, what do we know? But still, uh, yeah. But uh, real quick, what, what do we think is next? We talked corner. Uh, what are positions – I'll just give you some of the positions I think they still need to look at. You're probably going to look at maybe a wide receiver, probably somewhere. Uh, I think defensive tackle, like you just mentioned, it was so weak – in the draft, I still think they could use picking up maybe a nose tackle somewhere. Uh, and like I, we've already mentioned corner. So I, I think, uh, I think they still have some work to do. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't know how much work they're going to do, but they're definitely going to target a few positions. And, uh, you know, I think it's right now, I don't know about you, Larry, just, I feel a lot less certain about this roster after the draft than I have in a long time. I mean, I, uh, may, maybe it's the, the glaring hole at corner. Uh, I, the other thing that bothers me a little bit was we saw, like, some key players last year, like Lattimore, like Cam Jordan, that had down years, you know. There was a little bit of a decline in their play, and uh, Mike Thomas really dropped off, you know, and I know he was hurt. But, uh, you know, you start seeing that. That's always, to me, a red flag. And those are like, we're talking about some of the best players on the team had a little bit down years compared to the year before. Uh, so, you know, we always know in the NFL, nothing carries over, nothing. So, you know, I just worry with those kind of holes on defense in a division where you just start looking at what Tampa Bay's got on the perimeter, what – Atlanta's got, you know, with Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, and Kyle Pitts. I mean, it's scary. I, I think uh, this team really has uh, more holes than they've had in recent years, and they probably know it, and this could just be a, a big-time transition year. But I'm, I was surprised to hear Mickey Loomis say, I don't really see a lot of holes in our roster. We think we've got a really good roster. I'm not as high on the roster uh, as they are inside uh, the building at Airline Drive. I can rattle off holes. What the hell is going to happen at defensive end? Trey Hendricks is gone. Marcus Davenport has uh, not performed. And then you go get a first-round guy. Uh, who is going to take over a nose tackle and uh, rotate in with Anyamata? I can point there. Linebacker, who's your middle linebacker starter? Corner, who's your starter? Uh, so I named four holes on defense right away. Who's your number two receiver? Uh, you know, uh, are, are you? What are you going to do with the offensive line? Who's playing quarterback? Sorry, Mickey, I just did it about forty seconds. I named about six, seven holes. Yeah. What? What if they? What if they next week when the schedule comes out, they get an opening game against Tampa Bay like they did last year or Atlanta, and Marshawn Lattimore suspended, and we don't know who the other corner is, and all of a sudden they're going in to play Atlanta with that receiving core without really a, a bona fide starting corner. I mean, there's a lot of, lot to be concerned about, uh, and more than I, I can I can remember, maybe all the way back to, you know, the 
2016, you know, that run that they had of seven and nine seasons. Uh, I'm not as high on their prospects right now as, as they are out there, but Hey, until, until we see otherwise, I mean, they get the benefit of the doubt. It's Ken Crawley time again, baby. Just bring him on back. <laughs> Why not Jason David? How about Sterling Moore? B.W. Webb, bring them all back. Straight up to B.W. Webb. Bring it, it won't be 7-9 and nine this year. It'll be 7-10. and 10. Let's just do it. Let's see what happens. Uh, well, it is going to be fascinating. And I think the quarterback position, that's obviously going to get all the headlines. But there's so many other things to consider in, on this roster. And I'm with you, too. I mean, like, they obviously seem to be very high on these young receivers. Uh I don't know where that optimism is coming from. We haven't seen it yet in the games. Maybe they feel like, and, and this is just speculation, nobody said this to me, but maybe they feel like they were so limited with Drew's injuries and advancing age that we really couldn't see the full potential of the receiving core uh, because of the limitations they had with, with Breeze at age 41. Uh, that's the only thing I can see as to why they would be so optimistic about uh, this group of receivers. Absolutely. And let's, let's not discount even something like this as we wrap up this podcast, like parting shot. What if they decided to actually go out and trade someone like Michael Thomas? Then what? Like, what if they decided to do that? Something crazy, maybe get him off the books. Maybe he's been too much of a headache. I mean, his name hasn't been floating around on accident. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, no, I think it definitely is something that they've considered um, because he's got tremendous value and you're looking at maybe a transition year and they probably would never admit that. But if they are, what are you doing paying top dollar to a receiver when you don't even know for sure who your quarterback's going to be? Uh, I could see that being a thought that this is an asset that we can get something for much the way they did with Jimmy Graham. I mean, it was the almost the exact same thing. Brandon Cooks. They just signed Jimmy Graham. Right. They signed those guys to big deals, and they looked at it and said, you know what, we can get better in other spots on our roster very quickly uh, by making this move. But, boy, if you trade Mike Thomas, I don't know. Who's your number one receiver? <laughs> Traquan Smith? Taysom Hill, right? Your boy. <laughs> Taysom. Yeah. Ian Book. Tight end. You never know. Yeah, they go, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that they can move Mike Thomas anyway because of cap considerations. I mean, it would accelerate a ton of money to the cap. But we know Mickey Loomis and Kai Harley are masters at that kind of thing. Uh, but I don't put anything out of consideration with this group and knowing how aggressive they are and how they think outside the box. Not anymore now that the Super Bowl or bust has gone bust and Drew Brees is gone. Uh, they're going to be – they know they've got to they got to get better, uh, and they've made big bold moves through seven and nine years to do it. And we're not assuming seven and ten, but like they've made them, and so we'll, we're just gonna have to keep our eyes peeled. So, all right, Jeff, that's gonna wrap up this edition of the Duncan Holder podcast. Of course, you can check out all of, all of our podcasts, theathletic.com/slash Duncan Holder. Get on, and you can subscribe, get all of our great written work. Of course. NFL drafts over. This just means we're moving on closer to the season. You're going to have all of that, and you have every sport known to mankind. So theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. Also, if you want to jump on just the pod, you can do Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. So get all over that. So for Jeff Duncan, I am Larry Holder. Thanks for joining us. 
once again on the Duncan Holder Podcast here on the Athletics Podcast Network.